trying something gigantic every now and again. (laughs) (sighs) Trying something gigantic every now and again is good to widen your horizons. <laughs> Try that once more. Trying something. Oh, gee, fuck. I am Malcolm Childs. And I am James Giffins. And we are Just Making Conversation. The show where we discuss the ins and outs of the model making hobby that we both love so much. From the greasy sprues to the gloss coats and everything in between, we are going to just make conversation. Remember, there are other podcasts you can listen to. Plastic Model Mojo. The Scale Model Podcast. Plastic Posse. On the Bench. Model Geeks. Sprue Cutters Union. Or you can head to modelpodcasts.com. Consider leaving a review or five stars as it promotes this podcast to more people to enjoy. Also, consider tossing a coin to us on buymeacoffee.com. It just helps us make content for you. In this episode, we will be just making conversation about going big. Do your eyes light up at the size of large model parts and colossal model kit boxes brimming with sprues? Sometimes size matters. For the love of those finer details, or maybe just to make it easier to see. The more sizable the model, the more you can go crazy on the extra details inside your aircraft or tank ship. Is it important to be able to see the extra details in it, or knowing that they're just there is enough? So, Malcolm, what does going big mean to you in your your modelling sphere? Uh, Going big would mean, for me, choosing subjects that are bigger than the cutting that I have, or choosing a subject that requires me to buy a big box so I can transport it, or a big box somewhere I have to store the thing. The thing that I'm focusing on when I talk about this is an A400M that I built in 172nd scale. And that's big. Even in 172nd, mm. uh, the thing is huge. It's the biggest model I have built. I, I basically had to move into my garage to be able to build it because it was not enough room in my dining table. There wasn't enough room on my, on, on, on the anywhere in the, in the house. So I literally had to clear some space mm. in the garage to build it because um, the wings were so wide. I mean, I haven't got a, a tape measure here. I have two tape measures here. <laughs> in in true fashion of JMC. They literally must have just appeared when I said that. Do you know that'd be good? I don't have any money in my pocket. No, it doesn't work. Still no money in your pocket. No, still no money. The wingspan, I mean, I probably could look it up on Google and tell you, um, but the wingspan was probably about 50 centimetres. In fact, I have looked it up on Google, and the wingspan is 64.4 centimetres. I had to end later. Just to um, clarify the picture in which I am watching, I am now observing Malcolm with his tape measure on his desk trying to figure out how big 50 centimetres is. Yeah, well, it's that long. It's that long, yeah. 
which is bigger than uh, than any model should be, to be honest. It's just too big. Any model, well, I'm thinking, like, you look at one end, you can't see the other end. That's how big it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, uh, yeah, no, no, it was brilliant, though. Really cool. It's a different type of construction. It's more beefy, obviously, because it's not just a bit, a bit of plastic uh-huh. holding itself together. I had to have some structure to it. And because I was doing it on its wing, it had to have a very strong rod through it, and it had to have a proper base and all that kind of thing, which you wouldn't have to do if you're just doing it as a regular model. But even so, it was, uh, you know, a big chunky beast. And it used a lot of glue up. Uh, Extra thin, no chance on it at all because it was just evaporating way too quickly for the wing. So I'd have to use Mm. uh, the white top one from uh, Tamiya or I'd use the Revel um, contactor. This is a bit thicker and it takes longer to evaporate. So just... Just describing this this particular model, you you did it on a display base, so it was doing a wing over, as you'd observed at um, an air display. So quite an exaggerated wing over, in fact. 110 degrees over? Literally on the tips of its its wings. Mm. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, there will be a photograph mm. uh, up on the um, Facebook, I hope, because James is making notes, aren't you? Uh-huh. It'll be just like the other notes. There's a pile of notes somewhere, but I don't know where they are. Because every week I can't find them. Uh, yeah, so the A4 100M. It's a beautiful aircraft. Mm. It's just a spectacular piece of engineering and beautiful thing. But yeah, the model is massive, and uh, it was a struggle. And it's a lot of grey paint. I must have gone through two or three pots of Tamiya grey and a lot of primer as well. And I, and to try and get it not to look like a massive dolphin and just all grey. <laughs> I used lots of different shades uh, and tried to get some sort of mottling in there. It just takes so so long, and I remember mm. my airbrush trigger finger was getting tired. <laughs> Poor airbrush trigger finger. <laughs> it was so tired. <laughs> Laying on the mat, breathing heavily. <laughs> <laughs> Panting away, trying to catch his breath. That's right, and I was, I was waving a postage mm. stamp at it. You know, <laughs> painful on the on the joint. I mean, all, all seriousness, when you're when you're pushing down, it's painful on that kind of top knuckle, knuckle number one. Highly medically trained terminology. Knuckle number one. Are they phalanges or metatarsals? Well, it's uh, a um, very good question. Answers on a postcard. Yes, ten JMC points if you answer correctly. Ten JMC points. What mm. are these? We're now issuing JMC points, which can be cashed in at any point at any time that they're worthless. But you can earn them. Are you running this scheme? Oh, no. We've got an outside body doing it, which is costing us a fortune. Outside body. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I would say we're going big. I have also built the 132nd scale of Spitfire. And for a Spitfire, it's a big model. And this was a Revell kit as well. Of course it was. Uh, just checking. Yeah, of course it was. It was the Ravel Mark Two A, uh, and it's oh, it's brilliant, brilliant kit. Yeah, that was that was big. Uh, I really enjoyed that actually because it wasn't too big for the desk. Uh, what about you? Uh, yes, I uh, I don't mind going big every now and again. It's obviously, the title is a little bit misleading because maybe we should be talking about the bigger scales, but it's not necessarily about the bigger scales because obviously, like you said, the one seventy second 
can be quite a large model in itself depending on what the subject is see in my stash i've got quite a few big items like for example the trumpeter br52 train which is in the stash i will build it at some point but i'm scared of it oh, is that big because it's it's a big loco i mean i mean it's long and thin yeah right you know longer longer than it is wide obviously yes, yes. it's a train it's quite chunky it's got a lot of parts it's i guess it's got a lot of bogeys and stuff I mean, it's one thirty-fifth, but it has got an awful lot of parts. Awful lot of okay. parts. Right. And if you really want to go mad, you you can go photo etch crazy on it too. I haven't got the photo etch, but I think one of the things that makes me scared of that particular kit is that uh, I'm not quite sure how I want it. Because in a way, I'd like to make it pristine or working, so dirty working, yeah. but yeah. nice. But I also like to blow it up as well. Right? Did any ever get derailed or anything like that? Do you know of? Have you done any research? Oh, God, yeah. There's loads of good pictures of them shot up by aircraft, allied aircraft, bombed, uh, sat in stations and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's there's loads. Did you ever watch Thomas the Tank Engine as a kid? I did. Do you remember when Edward wouldn't come out of the tunnel because it was raining? Yes. Was it, was it Edward? I think it was Edward, yeah. Red engine. No, no, no. Green engine. Oh, green engine. Big green engine like Gordon. Do you remember his name? I can't remember. But do you remember the episode when that train would not come out of the tunnel because it was raining outside? And the fat controller said, well, fine, I'll brick you up then. And he bricked the tunnel up with the train inside it, given these are sentient beings. That's a bit harsh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, then he realised that his new paint job was now getting horrible and weathered inside the tunnel. And when you're talking about your train being weathered, that's exactly what I thought of. A weathered Thomas Tank Engine train. I could do that train in a tunnel that's bricked up. That'd be brilliant. What, completely bricked up? Hmm. Yeah, good idea. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I don't think you win competitions or the adoration of your peers if you just say that here's a box. uh, It's got a really nice model inside it. It's in there. I know it is, honest. I just got to find a figure of a fat controller stood on the rails. And, you know, he's standing on a box. Oh, was he on a bus? So he could get up to eye level to whoever it was. Ah. What's the name of that train? <laughs> Should I Google it live? <laughs> you're going to have to Google it and you're going to have to find a picture. That's another one on your notes. I don't know what his, what, what his plan was. I mean, he's a terrible um, father. What's my little Thomas Tankin and Friends? I suppose that's what I should it Just put Thomas Tankin bricked. Thomas the Tank Engine bricked Thomas in Tank tunnel. Engine. Bricked in this is brilliant podcast isn't it this is this is cutting edge stuff <laughs> hey we're on the ah oh, this is we're well out there for youtube right it was uh henry ah oh, there we go henry henry the fussy engine had just got his paint job done and then it was raining so he was going to get it wet and then he paid the price or paid the price by being at that blooming yard because they're horrible to him but so you're going to weather your train and you've got lots of ideas, yeah? Yeah, there's lots of different ways in, in which I'd like to do it. Funny enough, going on the going big scenario, I'd actually, what I quite like to do is I quite like to do DeLoco in a station that has been bombed where another local has been damaged. So there are two locos, one damaged and one not. But that would be going big. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be like a whole 360 kind of th- kind of deal, isn't it, as well? Oh, yeah. I would need my own transit just for that one kit. 
Yeah, I mean, fun, funny enough, in my research that I've done for it, I did see a picture of Liverpool Street in London where it had been struck by a bomb and the devastation it had caused to the railway carriages and a couple of locos. So there, there are lots of pictures out there. That would be very nice to, to see. Oh, recreated. Mm. A couple of other kits in which I've got which would fit into the category of going big would be the nose section from Hong Kong models of the Lancaster B1. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the reason I went for the nose section, which is obviously the nose and the cockpit, etc., mm-hmm. is because to get the whole bomber, that's a very big kit. Beautiful. I, I just The nose will do me. Thank you very much. I think that's genius, just releasing a nose. Yeah. I think it's a way to go, to be honest, with the, with, with the big kits um, and, and those sort of subjects because your world yours you can do all sorts of things with it that's kind of the bit that people were looking at wouldn't it business end mm. and to be able to have a model that you just have to focus that part on it's, it's nice it's a lovely idea it's not new though i've seen you can get models of cockpits like jets and things like that yeah it's a model of a like f-16 it's not a new idea. It's just something that hasn't been readily available. You know, you can pick up lots of resin cockpits for jets and stuff, you know, that are a large scale, that is just the cockpit. They've been around for a long time. But as a, as a kit, a plastic kit, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head that are similar. But um, you got your 148 uh, B-17s from Hong Kong models where you've got one side of the fuselage that is clear plastic. So you can look into your B-17 and all the bits that you've done in there. Mm. Personally, not for me. I can understand why people do them. I've seen a few that have been done where they've been painted in a like a cutaway design. That that makes sense to me. Yep, me too. I think that works quite well. To be honest, the whole plastic side of a, an, an aircraft is not a new thing either. They've been around for quite a while. Yeah. I can remember one as a kid. Can't think what the kit was, but I don't like that idea myself. The clear plastic would be um, difficult to see through. You can't make it so that you doesn't warp the light. So if you're trying to look through it, you wouldn't be able to see any proper details anyway. And if they were, they would be wobbly. See, that's the funny part about it, though, isn't it? Is it gets into the argument of which we'll do in another podcast of of you know if if you have the ability to throw resin or photo etch or whatever into an aircraft for an example or tank or whatever and then you close it all up and you can't see it was there any point did you need to do that yeah another podcast will explore that hidden details what's the point yeah or something catchier so i can understand where that idea comes from but like you say that i i don't think i've ever seen a plastic side of an aircraft or anything that that has been clear enough to to pick out all the detail anyway it's funny actually you're talking about that lancaster i was at a model show last weekend a local well, localish area and there was the exact lancaster front nose you're talking about mm. and it was very well put together a nice neat model but for me the glass was way too shiny all you could really see was glass until you got close up uh, you couldn't see in because of the glass was just too thick, I suppose. I mean, the model wasn't uh, weathered at all, but that, yes, by the by, you just mm. couldn't see in. You know, if you've got the nose cone, you've got all that detail in there, show it off. Work with what you got, baby. But yeah, that's kind of another podcast. We're talking about big stuff, aren't we? I mean, obviously, space was a consideration and money. Hmm. But the nose cone for me, I hope in the, the future, will give me the ability to do what I want to do. And my idea is that I'm actually going to split the model in half. So you'll have 
two nose sections of the Lancaster and you'll be able to see either side. So so the painted fuselage sides will be um, opposite each other and the outer sides will be visible. So like a split in half, you mean? Yeah, so basically to put more meat on the bones, basically the way I envisage that model being made is a factory setting. Ah, uh, with you. You've got two identical noses that are being worked on by factory workers, and the inner side of the two nose cones that are sat next to each other, or one will be bare metal and the other one will be starting to be painted. I see. And the, uh, and the opposite sides, so the outer sides of the models, will be putting panels on and riveting and all that sort of stuff. Um, it... <laughs> It's a little bit probably wrong in the way in which I'll do it, um, but it is to, to be able to show off the actual frame in more detail. I think there would have to be one angle that you'd look at it from. So one of the sides would be the super detailed end. Yeah, well, look, I've got a choice. I've, I've either got a choice of, of one um, where it's open, you can see everything inside, and, and they're mm. literally putting the panels of metal on. And maybe the other one is metal and someone standing there with a spray gun starting to give it its first coat. That's cool. Maybe. I don't know. Um, it's yeah. yeah. Very, it's a work in progress in my head. But, uh, yeah, most things are. <laughs> you and I have probably seen the same model before. A friend of ours had, uh, I think it was a Stuka, and the way the model put together is, is right down the middle. Yes. And he had put a Stuka either side of a box so that their wings were pointing in. So it looked like two Stukas, mm -hmm. like an airfield scene in, in the middle. And you're supposed to look through it a little slit so you could see uh, just, you know, the bits that you wanted to see. Um, and it looked like there was two Stukas, but you just had one kit. Very clever. Is it that the kind of thing you're thinking of, but being able to see in at the sides? Similar, but um, it's going to involve a lot of scratch building. Because effectively, I'm going to have to yeah, scratch yeah. build some detail, detail in in one of the fuselages. Um, however, my plan was, if I'm clever, <laughs> is I might use the see-through one and glue that together with one side, which will give me a whole fuselage. And then the the last side, that all I've then got to do is the the physical ribbon where the panels would be then uh, riveted on. Right, okay. I, I guess it's such a big scale that you be able to put lots of detail in there. Basically, the frame structure will be the hardest part to make because I have had a little go already, and yeah, it is, it is as hard as I thought it would be. But I'm very fortunate in that um, there is someone in the UK that is actually at this present time building um, a Lancaster from scratch. What scale? One-to-one. Uh, -one. What? They're actually building a, a Lancaster nose section for a museum. Oh, is this for the the simulation? No, I don't think it's being used for a simulation. They're just it's just a bunch of engineers who got together and decided they wanted to build a, a Lancaster. Wow. Do they have one or they're building it literally all from scratch? No, they're literally building it. They literally are making every single piece. The dials and that sort of stuff, they're all original or sourced replicas. But the actual framework itself is all brand new. Wow. Okay. So, and it's it's crazy to watch. Reference pictures wise, I've got loads there, loads of information. But that's one of the good things about going big yep. is that you can go a little bit crazy in the level of detail, etc. Yep. Another example of that would be I have actually got the 148th Hong Kong B17. Bingo! Now, with that, I've gone a bit crazy because I have gone extras mad on it. Mm. So, extra PE for the internals, engines, resin engines, resin wheels, blah, 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 blah. But that's going to be a big beast. Yeah. 
but the, because of its size, I decided I would go for the the extras because I want again with that I want it to be a little bit different. Sat on a, an airfield in a hangar, maybe being worked upon, or well, you've got the room, haven't you? You've got the room to operate in a big model like that. Potentially, yeah. It's I, I think I'm underestimating the amount of room I've got. In fact, but yes, yeah, that'll be a fun project to do at some point. Do you find that you? you are then faced with more details to put in because there is more space. Yeah, because because you can get photo sets for something. You get, you get a photo set for uh, instrument panel, for instance. You've maybe got photo for some of the levers and from the pulley arms and the wing mirrors, um, you know, and the ashtray and the catch that holds the ashtray and things like that. You know, you've got more details to add. Mm. I think as as far as model kits go, I've not really gone down the extras road that heavily. I mean, on the B-17, yes, I have on that particular model. And I right. can think of maybe one other model in which I've got some extras like that. But I generally don't. It's not something I did. But the reason for the B-17 is the model looks really, really cool. Looks the part. And <laughs> this will sound really silly. If I'm honest, I have actually got the same model in one thirty seconds. Okay, that's not silly. That's fine. No, no, that's not silly. That's just being greedy. What's silly is is I ordered some things for the one forty eighth that ended up being a one thirty fifth. So I have actually got engines for the one thirty fifth as well by accident. Did you end up buying the one thirty second model because you had the one thirty second aftermarket parts? No, no, I bought. Okay, I basically that would be silly. I bought that model purely because I walked into Telford one year and went, oh, my God, it's there. I need it. I must have it. We talked about it earlier in another podcast. Um, I think we talk about it in every podcast. <laughs> yeah, the reason I went for the 148th is because um, a little bit like a lot of things I do, I tend to buy something that's quite expensive and then go, oh, I haven't really got the confidence for that. So I buy a smaller version of it to try and give me the confidence to do it. Gosh. Yeah, and then when you get home, you went, oh, why didn't I buy the big one? Yeah, so uh, the the B-17 was, A, I, I thought it'd be cool because it's a smaller version of the bigger kit. Um, but I also, with, with that particular build, found a very unusual configuration of the B-17, which was British. Ooh. Oh, I see. That's where you're going with it, right? Oh, yeah. So I've gone way left field with it but again that's it's a, a project to be done mm, one of those <laughs> on the shelf one of many one of many uh potential builds i think that would be great though it's, it's something that you're really interested and passionate about i don't see a problem with that at all <laughs> it's not one, one bit the only other model i've actually done which i would term as a big big girl mm. if you like is i've done a 135th huey yeah that was a big build a big a big amount of space was that revel yes i think it was funny enough but to combat the amount of space that it would take across the bench uh vertically not vertically the one horizontally i decided to put it vertically that sounds a bit weird i'm i'm hanging it in the middle of a tree okay yeah but i didn't realize quite how big the tree would end up having to be to house the so yeah 135th scale tree is what about 50 50 60 <laughs> centimeters tall could, could I borrow one of your tape measures? I'll, I'll measure it. I haven't got any. 
Um, no, it's about yeah, it's about sixty centimeters high at least. I think we've talked about this before. It's from Conair, isn't it? No, not Conair. Air America and Predator. Predator. Yeah, there can't be that many films that have hanging helicopters from trees. No, they generally don't work very well when hanging from trees. No, get fresh ones, ripe ones. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that's my extent of going big. Go back to something you touched on a minute ago about the fact that I'm lucky enough to have quite a large space to build my, my stuff in. And the temptation with that is, because I love dioramas, is to go a bit crazy with diorama size. Mm-hmm. We talked about all the, the finer detail in which I can form down. But, yeah, I, I do struggle with that because you have a 135th tank and you're like, I'll put a Jeep next to it and then I'll put this next to it and then, oh, it's on a street corner and... Yeah, yeah, before you know it, it's gone big. Which is okay. The trouble is you get bored very quickly, that sort of thing, unless you've you know, been paid for it. You, you've got some other reason to build something like that. I think it quite easily lose interest in something too big because mm. it takes too long. Mm. It's something you've got to consider when you start these things, You know whether you're going to finish them or not, mm. and how much time you've got to work on these things too. But it's like most things, isn't it? You know, we, we modelers tend to pick a subject because we've got an interest in it or because we want to recreate something, mm. something along those lines. Yeah. And, you know, even to the point where, funny enough, when I was a child and living in Enfield in London, literally three streets away from me was like a, a, a little block of garages. And on the fence line of those garages was a man that used to make model aircraft. He loved making model aircraft. And he liked doing big size I never met the guy personally, but and he made them into weather vanes. They were on the posts of the fence. So you had a, a Mosquito, you had a Lancaster, you had a, a Halifax. The models were made into weather vanes. Yeah, the models were, were literally stuck on top of the post, on a bit of rod, and where the wind blowed is where it turned to, the propellers went round. No. Oh, it was amazing. That's cool. Mm. Um, I've always wanted to have that Harrier, uh, for obvious reasons, as a weather vane at the front of my house. And I've always wondered, like, if I bought, you know, the 124th Airfix one and then sprayed it with creosote or something to, <laughs> to for the outdoor, I don't know, is creosote a universal word or is that a British brand? Um, tar. Basically, covered it in pitch, yeah, <laughs> uh, to, to keep it um, away from the weathers. Uh, that would be really awesome because you'd be able to see it from quite a distance, spinning about. I really like that idea. I'm, I'm going to investigate into that weather vane idea and models. Were they painted up just all black, or were they actually painted up to look? No, they were. They were painted in proper camouflage, and you know the roundels were painted on, and the detail was there. It wasn't. It wasn't spared. Wow. My neighbour behind me, where I live now, has a weather vane that is a Lancaster, but it's made out of metal. And it is literally flat pieces of metal to make up the shape. It looks fine, but it doesn't because it's 3D. The propellers don't go round, do they? The propellers go round. But, you know, when when the aircraft turns in the wind, it's no longer a silhouette. It's pieces of metal. It doesn't look right. I am with you. I'm just being fussy. A weather vane will turn in the wind. That's its purpose. It always amazed me that this this guy had managed to get these aircraft on a metal pole and effectively work as a weather vane. They were plastic models, though. I I can't remember if they were plastic or not. So they could have been like wooden or something. Um, possibly, but they were. They looked like a one thirty second sized reflection. Reflection is that the right word? Of of the aircraft. So I don't I don't know. He may have sat there and whittled it out of wood. Who knows? I don't, 
we always said here, I mean, we had some problems with our neighbours and we always said that we were going to put big posts up and on top of the post we were going to put watchtowers with lights and... <laughs> That's like BBC gardening or something. <laughs> Go into that a bit for me, though. Were you getting neighbours encroaching into your land? Um, after a barbecue and we were just sat there going, wouldn't it be funny if we had uh, watchtowers on top of the posts and put a figure in there and a remote-controlled searchlight going across your lawn and stuff like that. A friend of mine pointed out that the connotations of that might actually be misinterpreted. So, um, <laughs> oh, <without> yeah, <laughs> with you. that would be fun, though, an outdoor project. So while we're talking about outdoor projects, large-scale trains in the gardens. Have you seen that thing before? Do you know what? Funny enough, I'm really pleased that you brought it up because it is a model. It is a model railway. Yes, we're not a model railway podcast. Certainly not. But podcast of model making and of which that does come into. So shoot us now if you wish to. It is a thing. Uh, and you know, I, <laughs> I'm going to make you laugh when I say this because I don't get railway kits. I don't, I don't get railway layouts. It don't make sense to me. But a steam engine go around my garden. Oh, yes, please. Dude, we can't keep going on about trains. It's my fault because I brought it up. One, we always talk about trains, and, it's, and we're not supposed to be talking about trains. We're talking about all things. And two, I don't like trains, and nor do you. <laughs> so we have to stop talking about them. <laughs> and, and anyway, yeah, you're right. It would be really cool. Just sit there having a drink, and then, you know, chuff, 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 chuff. Either the engine walks by. It just goes past the, the kitchen window, so the wife can put your drink in the carriage, and it can come up to you on the patio. That'd be lovely. Cold beers delivered. That'd be good, yes. Uh, they wouldn't be there, would they? It'd be a note saying, get your own. Yeah, dinner's in the dog. Dinner's on the siding or dinner's in the engine shed. <laughs> <laughs> would be cool, yeah, would be good. Well, maybe we wouldn't retire. They're large scale, but you can buy those out of the box, can't you? You don't have to do much modelling with those. I'd love to know how to outside-proof your model. That would be great. Please mm. let us know in the Facebook uh, comments, in all seriousness, because I have a big interest in doing that one day. As I'm sure other people have. So if you ever have done that or know how to do it or anything. Varnish. Yeah, uh, yeah, it could be. But I don't know if varnish would work on plastic. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. 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 I'm sure it will. What, definitely? I haven't tried it personally, but yeah, I'm sure it would. Why not? You just need to make sure you've got a surface that's got something to key into. No reason why it wouldn't. Or maybe I should get something like a, a small kit, cover it in a varnish that is designed for outdoors, and then stick it outside on, on my washing line for a season and see what happens. I, I can hear people now listening to this absolutely screaming at their device in one way or another. People don't do that. They just inwardly tut. <laughs> oh, do you know, I think we may have triggered someone, <laughs> if I'm honest. Well, it's a good job we don't have a mailbag section. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a mailbag, but we don't necessarily read about no, it. No, mailbag is is, is uh, mm, not read out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't see there's any any issue with that at all. I think it would it would work fairly well. Okay, well, right, we'll see it. I think the hardest part would be how it weathers, wouldn't it? Really, with sunlight and uh, that's the entire point of this conversation is what the weather would do to it and trying to keep the weather not changing it at all, which probably wouldn't be easy. I think it'd need to come down and be worked upon on a regular basis. Repainted. Possibly. What about storing these big kits then? Do you, you, I know you've talked about your 
loft and attic for those in the Americas. Does it matter if you have to store a large kit? Does it does it make a difference? Because I know there's a lot of wasted space in a, in a model kit box. No, I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's the it's the same considerations as any kit. You know, have you got the room to store it? Is it going to be stored in a sensible place? So you know, flat, not going to be dripped on by rain or or water or anything like that. Hmm. You know, all those the same considerations. It's just a little bit larger or longer than the average kit. But the good thing is, is you can use them like a shelf then, because you've got one long kit that you stack everything else up on top. Over time, though, don't they start to bend and buckle and crease and fold? And it, As long as they're stored in a safe and logical way, gotcha. they should be fine. Any kit, depending on where you put it, any kit, in theory, can distort through heat, but that's the gamble you make in it when you, you buy your kits and store them. Yeah, a, a climate-controlled humidity-controlled storage container would be fine. You would need a, a room, wouldn't you? Like like when you go and buy those fancy cigars and they've got their nice humidified-in room where everything's left at a certain temperature. That's Yeah. You'd need a little box for your cigars and a great big room for your models. Yeah. You wouldn't need a license for it, though, would you? No, that's true. <laughs> would the cigar smoke ruin your model kit or certainly when you know you sell it to somebody and they go oh wow look i have one thirty second scale kit and they get it home and then they open it up and all this you know smell of cigar smoke fills the fills the air they're going to be a bit annoyed mm-hmm. i don't know if anyone's ever done that bought a secondhand kit and then be able to smell the person's house it's pretty gross yes it's not nice it's not nice no it's not it's like, oh that that person's house smells like this uh subject to another podcast baby <laughs> Again, that's that's that again down to where you store it, etc. You know, if if there is the likelihood that you're going to move your your kits on, store them somewhere away from pets, children, and smoke and damp as well. And damp, yeah, obviously. No, so for me, my storage is minimal. I, I, everything I have in terms of stash can be fitted in three big boxes, microwave size boxes. Um. Uh, boxes that would put a microwave in it, not a box that is the size of a microwave. <laughs> and not the space that's inside the microwave, because that'd be even smaller. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> a big box. It's approximately 50 centimetres cubed. If you're going to have a big model, you're going to need somewhere to put it. But also, if once you've made the thing, and you've built it, and it's complete, and you've taken your photographs, and you've used you know, the widest uh, piece of paper you can find to put this huge model on, then where do you do with it? Where do you store it? Where do you display it? How do you take it to model shows? Yeah, that is a, is a worry, isn't it? I mean, especially with Hong Kong models, in theory, the, the big bombers, you can build them in such a way in which the wings detach, and you can transport it in detached forms. Oh... They thought about that then. Mm. They thought about how people are going to physically have this model in their homes. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the Hong Kong models, definitely. Um, I mean, I've seen those. I know that that was one of the considerations they were talking about when Wing that Wings were, were going to do the Lancaster. You know, that was highly spoken about. The older kits that are big, you're going to have to transport them as they are. Mm which is hard work. But storage, remember, the, one of the good things, especially with aircraft, realistically for storage, all you need is a wall, and you don't necessarily have to put a shelf. You could just put them on a, a hook so they, they literally are flat against the wall. 
Oh, like a double hook, like a guitar hook. You mean? Yeah. Mm. So a hook under the wings or something that holds the plane. Or Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen uh, people do that. I would personally be really concerned about the strength of my tailplane. <laughs> yeah. How strong is the back end? It's a concern that I would have all the time if I was looking at those big models and worried about, you know, whether it's going to snap. Because you're, you're relying on the actual plastic and the, and the strength and structure of that part of the or part of the aircraft in a such a way that's not designed to do. Mm. Is it? You know, <laughs> mm. if if your model fell off the wall, uh, you could you couldn't go complaining to anyone. Well, it depends, doesn't it? You know, if someone was thumping up the stairs that was uh, behind that wall, and all your model fell down, then you complain the person that's thumping up the stairs. There is a similar I've I've seen. I don't know whether it's an adaptation of of something else or whether it's specifically for models, but I have seen um, a hanger that's very much like a plate hanger where people hang plates on the walls. They have four elements that hold that plate to the wall. Oh. And they have a similar thing that you can do aircraft on the wall. It may be an adaptation of a plate hanger, but there are ways around it where you can spread the load over your model. You just got to think about it. Well, it would damage it, wouldn't it? These plate holders damage plates. That's why people say you've got nice plates, don't put them on the wall because it damages them. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I've never seen this before. The thing with a plate, well, the ones I've seen anyway, the plate holders that you put on the wall, is they're spring-loaded. So the hooks that go around the plates... Like a bear trap. It, it, sort of, in a way. Um, the hooks that go around sometimes are bare. <laughs> like a bear trap. <laughs> the hooks are on the, the porcelain or china or whatever your uh, plate's made of, and that spring is pulling together while it's still on the plate, which can damage the edges. But <laughs> uh, we've gone off onto plates now. <laughs> But there is um, a little bit of plastic you can put over those hooks to stop that damage from happening. Is there? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can buy them, seriously. Um, they're a little bit like shrink wrap, but a little bit thicker. And you put them over the hooks, and that stops any damage to your plates. Well, there's a thing. I did not know that. There we go. Is, um, is displaying your plates a British thing, or is it something that other countries do, I wonder? No, I'm sure I've seen other countries do it. I, don't ask me why, but I've got Austrians in my mind for some strange reason. Fine. Um, maybe they are a nation of plate hangers. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a thing. Is it a thing? Uh, yeah. Well, again, answers on a postcard. Let us know. If you, if you hang your models on the wall, do mm. you use plate hangers? And would that be a good thing? Now, if it is a good thing, we can slap a, a logo on it and sell it. A just-making-conversation thing, yeah. Yeah, JMC aircraft hanging wall system. Yeah. What about tanks? How would you put those on the wall? Now, see, tanks are a little bit easier because uh, all that would require is a hook. Uh, well, I say a hook. A screw in the wall would be sufficient and a hole in the bottom of your tank, and you could just slot it onto the screw head. So it would be driving on the wall? It'd be driving up the wall or down the wall, depending on which side of the uh, of the world it is, I suppose. <laughs> if it was an Australian tank, it'd be going up the wall. It'd be on the ceiling, wouldn't it? Upside down, if it was Australian. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be honest, I don't think I've actually seen any vehicles attached to the wall. No. But in hindsight, thinking about it, that's not actually a bad idea. I don't know. I don't think it's the best way to display a vehicle because you only see it from the top. You'd have to put your head against the wall to see it from the side or the back. 
don't think it would work for me. I mean, especially if it's a diorama, you'd have to put a whole thing against. Oh no, the diorama wouldn't work because that would that just that would be silly. That would be like one of those pictures. You know exactly what picture I'm thinking of as uh, well. It would be like I have a picture frame with a tank on it and hanging it on the wall because it's a it's a bloody picture frame. It's what it's designed for. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's that's the way yep, to do yep. it. If you had the tank going over a really steep hill and was angled towards the viewer and it was on the... Yeah, it'd be fine. You could do it. Well, the only other way to do it, to do dioramas, really, is a box diorama. And then it does stick on the wall nice and easily. Yeah, if you put, like, a small tank on a box diorama. Yes, and you've done one. I have to write that down, aren't I? Because you've done one, and I can put it onto the Facebook. I've got... Here on my list. Oh, have you got a list too? Oh, yeah. Did you write Thomas Tank Engine on your list? Yeah. Why am I writing a list? Fat Controller Henry is what I put. A400M, did you put that on there? No, I put Wing Over. Put the leg over. That's a different podcast. It's called Just Making Love. (laughs) (laughs) Just being lucky. Do you think if it's a larger scale model, it's easier to make because the bits are bigger? Ah, funny enough, I did fall for this trap a little while ago before we press record, actually. And in respect to it, yes. However, no, because there are small parts even in a bigger kit. In fact, there's probably more small parts in some respects, depending on how detailed you go. The only thing i would say is because obviously we've talked about airplanes we've talked about tanks etc when you start talking about figures are they easier potentially yes they are obviously the detail is finer so there's more smaller detail within that this is one of those things that i know triggers you big kits are easier for people that can't see properly that's what people think yes and that's the trap they fall into if someone's looking for a big kit because they can't see very well you know or they have tits for fingers can't say that uh have you heard that before pick tits for fingers yeah 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 i have yeah <laughs> when they have or think they have sausages for fingers being able to handle and manipulate uh small parts would be difficult it's a skill isn't it you, you've got tweezers you can mm. you can use for small parts even if your fingers are big you can still manipulate small parts and it's generally incorrect that a larger scale model will be easier because it's mm. got big parts to it it is true to a point in that some of the parts are big. Yeah, yeah, but only a couple. The main parts are maybe a bit bigger, a little bit less fiddly. But like you said, that that's part of learning how to make models is being able to find ways to manipulate the way in which you hold things. And, and I've said it specifically like that because we both are aware of somebody working with one hand, but they can still do it. It's just a way of learning to do it and finding the way to get around the inconvenience you have of digits not working or a lack of digits for whatever reasons. So the the belief that a large model would resolve all evils in your modeling experience is, is, is a fallacy. I would say that if it's got a low amount of parts, then it would be easier. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some micro wings, Revel ones, funny enough. The other day, uh, 144 scale, and there's only six parts. Uh-huh. Get all sorts of different aircraft. The details not really there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Great little kits to put together if you just want to have a dabble. And they're 199. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Lovely little things. Things that you could do with those. You'd have a whole sky of these things. Lovely. But yeah, you're right. People do, when they're starting the hobby, see the squirrels, you know, and mm. they, they go for the big kits and then they buy off way more than they can chew. And they, they think it's terrible because they can't do it. Start small, people. Build up. I know that I built um, a Hercules, 172nd Hercules. This is way, way back. Um, and I got bored with that because it was because of its size. I was a, a lot less experienced with my model making at that stage as well. But bear in mind as well with, with doing the larger scale kits is there will be elements of it where you can break it down into part builds effectively, where you, you can do bits and pieces and then go, you know what? I need to go and do a 172nd Spitfire, paint a, a figure or something to do something different. But the downside to that is you're going to have to have the space to store the bits you're doing while you do something else as well. Because otherwise, you potentially, you could get bored of it, lose interest in it, something go wrong, become niggly, and it'll go back in the box and won't be finished. Yeah, that's usually my experience with the new modelers and hobbyists is that they get bored because something's gone wrong and they don't know how to fix it. It's gone wrong, and suddenly they don't like looking at the thing because they've they've made a mistake, and it just spirals, and then they end up just not not touching it anymore. Then the hobby is terrible. But with just a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of uh, pointers in the right direction, maybe use this glue, maybe use these tweezers, maybe hold it in this way, maybe don't buy a massive kit in your first kit. <laughs> yeah, there's always ways around it so you can complete a build. Uh, but it's interesting that it's so psychological, isn't it? As well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, you, you think about the, the 116th BMW motorbike and sidecar, which is Revell. No, is that a Revell or a Talieri? I think it is Revell. I'm going to go with the Revell. Um, the, the big one, 116th motorbike and sidecar. Is it the one that Don's doing? Don's actually on his second one right now, which amazes me because the kit is renowned for bad fit. It's renowned for basically spending most of your time sanding. It's renowned for flash. And what he's doing right now with the second one, all the things that he's learned on the first, he's now pouring into this second one and adding extra bits that he didn't do last time. Oh, sick. I just hate him. I don't, Don. Love you, really. I I know of at least a half a dozen modelers that have bought that kit, started it, got tired of it, put it in a box, haven't finished it. Yeah. As the fun goes. If the fun stops, stop. You've got to bear that in mind when you tackle a big kit that you may need to put it down, move on to something else for five minutes, and then come back to mm. it. But go into the build with that mindset mm. because otherwise it will become a shelf queen. It is nice, though, to get a nice big box under the Christmas tree. Oh, God, yeah. I have the biggest box under the Christmas tree and unwrap it, and it's one twenty fourth Hellcat FX one. Yeah, that's a big box. Oh, where's it getting that for Christmas? Rubbing your hands with glee. Oh, don't I? Do you know that is that is on my list? That is on my list. I, I remember seeing that at Telford, and the details awesome, just absolutely awesome. Your friend of mine, uh, Fred, mm. Fred mm. Brown from Models United, he's he's done a cracking one, absolutely brilliant. I remember him building that at the beginning of lockdown. Mm-hmm. And for many, many weeks, he was working on the engine yeah. and the radials and the bits and pieces, direction you have to put the plastic in in a certain way because it wouldn't fit. And, you know, <laughs> he really mm. enjoyed that kit. He probably didn't at the time. Uh, well, a lot of those sort of kits, they're really ideal for the sort of modeler that loves to research because they're going to be on the on Google going, right, okay, I need to look at the radial engine and, and what does it look like? And uh, um, 
And then almost to a point where those sort of people are going, well, yeah, that, there's a pipe missing there. I need to add that pipe. I need to do this. I need to do that. But there are people out there that, that really enjoy going, ah, oh, airfix, you've done that wrong. It's a millimetre out of scale. I need to resolve that in some form, blah, blah, blah. It's interesting. No one thinks they're a rivet counter, but I've seen it at model shows all the time. And people say, oh, I don't like rivet counters, yada, yada, yada. And then seconds later, they're saying, that bomb is on the wrong pylon because there's a hole there for that flap to drop down. You know, and they're, and they're excited to be able to tell the person they've done it wrong and that they know better. But then they get upset that someone else has rivet counted their Tiger One tank. And it's because people know things and they want other people to know them too. Yeah. And it's not going to be very helpful, but someone has done something incorrectly, let's say, or in your opinion is, then it's very hard to say, oh, it's lovely. Well done. You know, and, and hold that back. It almost feels like your duty to <laughs> to explain your knowledge. You know, just the way that people do it, I guess, at model shows is not appreciated. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult because I'm not I'm renowned for not being somebody that likes to do too much research because it's not what gets me excited. But the the few times I have done a bit of research, I've seen an image gone. Oh, I like that. I'll keep that image. Then someone will say, "Oh no, that's not right. You've not done this right." Or that. you go, "Yeah, no, I got this image." And and they, yeah, that image is wrong. It's been doctored. And you're like, "Why? Well, how do I know that?" That's happened to me a couple of times, and that's one of the reasons why I'm like, well, "I can't be asked with it." However, anybody that's listening to this episode from the Scale Gale Model Critics Group, I would like to give them a shout out and say thank you so much because, and now that there is two reasons I'm doing this. Firstly, we did, have, did do a podcast where they come up in conversation and I said that part of the rules you would need to have your big boy pants on. It wasn't my sort of group. However, Will Patson reached out to me and I have since posted on their group a couple of times. I bring it up because I've just been doing an elephant which is quite a reasonable large size. Well, one thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I got hung up on the size of my coils. Now, that's not something I would freely admit, if I'm honest. <laughs> Some kind gentleman pointed out to me that my coils weren't correct on the ropes that I'd added to the model because I couldn't understand how this pack would sit on the back of an elephant without being held down by something. Not part of the kit. And I, I did that. I did the research thing. And it's like, well, no, that's not right. I'm and I'll be honest with you, and I've said this on the post and I'll say it again, part of the problem was I got hung up on the fact that I was receiving criticism, but I'd misunderstood the word coils. And on, What do you think they were? Uh, do you know, I read it and I just, in my mind, I'm going, well, the ropes are where they're meant to be. What are you on about? But it was me. It's my understanding in my head. It's how my head sometimes works. Oh, uh, okay. And obviously they were talking about the tightness of the coils of the rope. And literally within a space of hours, I had mulled it over in my head, kicked it around and suddenly gone, uh, do you know what? I got it. I understand it now. They even posted a picture of the coils of a rope around the foot of an elephant. And my reaction was, there wouldn't be rope like that around the elephant's foot. What would you do that for? And I didn't twig it. Right reference pictures when you're going big and adding those finer bits of detail like the correctly coiled amount of coils on a piece of rope around an elephant's tummy yeah it's important you do that and and don't trust the first picture you see either mm. keep looking compare notes of said pictures yeah and do that before you start painting it if you want the advice it's there if you want someone to look at it and give their opinion you can but do it before you finish the thing but you obviously had, had asked on that forum there for criticism I did, yeah. I specifically went to them because yeah. I knew they would give me a straight answer. Yeah, and they'd work hard with that answer too. 
They had, yeah. Someone had actually, because one of the guys did say, do you know, I actually had to Google this to figure out whether I was writing what I was thinking or not. The guys on there do do a lot of effort to help you. Purposely wanted to make sure I had a shout out to them to say thank you very much. I'm learning. It's an exciting thing. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Yeah, I roped up my elephant in scale and it was very exciting. The other reason I'm mentioning the elephants is because obviously that's a figure and it's a bigger size figure, etc. And remember that when you when you go big, the effects in which you're going to use on a big figure or a big tank are going to be different to what you put on a smaller one. In as the area they take, not necessarily the technique. So sometimes to fine tune your your techniques, doing it on a bigger surface and then reducing it is sometimes easier for some people. Mottling, for example. My A400. Did we talk about it before the show or we talked about it while I was recording? No, we've, we've talked about the modeling effect on your aircraft. Oh, I see. So you're just kind of, you're harping back to. Yeah, I'm referring back to it. A full circle thing. Very good. Oh, yeah. Super professional. Should be after 20 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to do a Musaru update? Uh, no, there's nothing to update with Musaru on this podcast. Oh. Well, well, let's do an update, and then you can say there's nothing to update. I just want an excuse to play the jingle. Musaru Cup, <laughs> the Musaru Cup. Let's talk about the Musaru Cup. Boom! Woohoo! Go. Uh, we, there is no m- massive update. I'm preparing... As I speak, as we record this, I'm preparing the kit for a kit review. Review will go up on my YouTube channel, but also will go up on the Facebook page. I am looking to be doing it live on Facebook. I have had official word back from the chief wrangler that how I create that journey, he's not really that worried about. Okay, great. I've also been listening to some other podcasts, and I know for a fact that the On The Bench crew are very much keeping everything under wraps. Yeah. We may only be the one out there in the open. Fine. We've got the balls to do it. This is it. I think this is the purpose that we've been given, is to shake up things, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all for fun. It's all about taking part and winning. Women? Taking part in women? Women? <laughs> no. There's no women that come with a kit. No. No, it's all about winning. A winning. Honestly. And he's got his headphones on. Announce the eight. <laughs> you got to remember, I'm from London. We don't announce the eight anything unless it's bangers and mass. <laughs> Humongous models take large amounts of paint, glue, filler, and massive cutting mats. They also require more precious display space that some of us struggle to find. So against all the advice once given in our previous podcast, size does matter. Trying something gigantic every now and again is good to widen your horizons. Even if storage is an issue, you can hang your models from the ceiling or make that aircraft into a weather vane in the garden or maybe even on top of your mobile home. Going big doesn't always mean adding resin and photo etch, but maybe that's your thing. The size of the model only increases the amount of small parts. Sometimes you have to go big or go home. You've been listening to Just Baking Conversation with James Skiffins and Malcolm Childs. Follow us on Facebook 
where we post photos, updates and other nonsense. Let us know what you are just making and what your thoughts are on the conversation on this episode. A big thank you to our supporters. Mike, Robert, Andrew, John, Mike, Jeff, Richard, Lynn, Gordon and four others. Who took the time to buy me a coffee. If you would like to grind some beans with us, just join us on buymeacoffee.com. If you do show your support, why not leave a message with your name so we can give you a shout out too. Next time we'll be just making conversation about going small. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care. Like a aubergine or something. That was what I was thinking of. <laughs> Freaking nightmare. <laughs> so that's a um, a navy aviator's comment, right? Navy aviator. <laughs> You're coming in too low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why do your flaps? <laughs> You're never going to make it. <laughs> oh dear, that was that was hard. <laughs> that was really tough. <laughs> <laughs> when uh when you said we were gonna do <laughs> when you said we were gonna do a podcast about going big my childlike brain did titter and i thought i am way bigger than that there's no way that i can laugh at the word big i'm not gonna lower myself take it's what seven minutes to get through the intro without laughing <laughs>